0: you, Will, for leading us in communion. Thank you, Smiths, uh, for praying for us this morning. And uh, it's good to see everybody. Welcome to the new year. Happy new year and a a very late Merry Christmas. Hopefully everyone had some some good time. I know it was a holiday that looked a little different than usual, but um, we are happy to be here in the new year. You know, one of the cool things uh, that happened to me recently was sometimes on your Apple device or like my Apple TV, Will, show you like your year in review and it'll take pictures and videos you've taken throughout the year and kind of make a slideshow on its own, which is kind of cool. And uh, I watched it and uh, it was pretty cool. Um, and just to be able to be reminded of, uh, you know, Brandon's um, baptism and to be reminded of Maya's baptism, to be reminded of all the good things that happened this year, um, the bridge ministry and all the, all the great things that God did in 2020 as, as hard as it was, as it was a difficult year. Uh, It was encouraging to be reminded of that. Uh, We will be in Luke chapter 10, so hop over there uh, at this time, and we'll continue on, uh, pick up where Bobby left off last Sunday after Jesus sends out the 72. Uh, And we will pick up, let's see, here in Luke chapter 10, verse 17 is where we will start. It says, Then the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Look, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and on the full force of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names stand written in heaven. On that same occasion, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your gracious will. All things have been given to me by my Father. No one knows the Son, no one who knows the Son, uh, no one who knows who the Son is except the Father, Or who the Father is, except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son decides to reveal him. Then Jesus returned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Um, The title of my lesson this morning is Practicing the Presence. Of God. Um, And one of the things that stands out in this passage, it's one of those passages in the Bible that you can easily overlook because it kind of goes from a popular passage, Jesus sending out the 72, to another popular passage, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it kind of has this interesting connection aspect to this section, but there's so much here. And as I studied it out, I began to see more and more things kind of popped out to me as I read. And one of the things I noticed was that the word rejoice. And praise pops up so much here. Rejoice. You can see all rejoice and praise and blessed in yellow. Um, you know, do not rejoice, but rather rejoice your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in the Holy Spirit. I praise you, Father. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Um, and, and here is, we just see this gushing forth of Jesus's heart. That He's obviously very happy. He's joyful. But what is making him so happy? Uh, the 72 just came back. Is he happy at their progress? Happy at what they did? Sharing their faith, maybe? But what is, what is causing Jesus so much happiness here? Maybe a hint is what stands there kind of in that teal color. Um, and in the green, which is Jesus also repeats the word Father here within two sentences or three sentences. Repeats the word Father five times. And repeats the word Son three times. And what, what Jesus is saying here, especially in verse 21, is he's praising God. Now, what's he praising God for? It says, you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to little children. Um, and he, Jesus is saying, you've revealed good things, you've revealed uh, your kingdom to children, but you know who doesn't see it? People of high status. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about how the world puts so much emphasis, and sometimes even the church puts so much emphasis on these, these statuses that just don't matter to God. Married, non-married, rich, not rich, uh, color of your skin, ethnicity, where where you live—these things just don't matter to God. And Jesus is saying, "God, I praise you. I'm so thankful that you reveal your truth to people, not based on worldly statuses." Now, can I get an amen to that? Right? We God's truth isn't revealed to people based on uh, how they can open doors, based on their status, their wealth, their uh, prestige. But how is God's truth revealed to people? And in this passage is an incredible secret. In this passage is an incredible secret to all those yellow words right there, right? Kind of secrets and keys to what it is to really rejoice and really be happy. Because Jesus isn't rejoicing at the product. Jesus isn't rejoicing, oh, the 72 came back and you know what? They baptized a lot of people. So I'm going to rejoice. No, he's not rejoicing because of that what is actually causing Jesus to rejoice and it seems to be this relationship with his father. Uh, Jesus gushes forth in praise because he calls God his father Now it wasn't really common it happens sometimes but it wasn't common for a Jew to call God father. It's very intimate it's very personal, very close to, to, to say the God the heaven of the uh, the creator of the universe and the heavens that's my dad. Uh, that 's my old man, right? But Jesus is saying that. Jesus is gushing, he's excited, he 's happy, he 's grateful because of his relationship to his Father and what that relationship has revealed to him, and by extension, His apostles. And that 's what we 're going to talk about this morning is how do we actually experience that joy because of intimacy with God? How is our relationship with God this morning? You know, First 1 Corinthians one twenty one says something similar. It says, Think about the circumstances of your call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were powerful, not many were born to a privileged position. But God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. And God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing, to set aside what is regarded as something. So that no one can boast in his presence. He is the reason you have a relationship with Christ Jesus. You see, what we're really all about is not so much religion, but relationship. And sometimes, especially in a year where so much happened, we can forget our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's just what, exactly what Will Portillo just talked about. He shared he kind of forgot his relationship with Jesus amongst all that was going on. Not that some of those things are bad. Not, 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 what, he, not what he's saying. What he's saying is relationship is forgotten. we we got to practice the pres- presence of God and not forget the relationship with Jesus. How is your relationship with God this morning? As we close out a year, it's really nice to turn um, turn over a new leaf when you go into a new year. It's, it's, it's nice to compartmentalize, right? To say, oh, 2020, it's over. 2021, the future is bright, right? Uh, what can go wrong? Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that. But 2021, uh, we, we have this idea of uh, fresh start, new beginnings, it's exciting, but we, we got, I gotta kind of sit down and define our relationship a little bit. Um, how's it going? How's it going with our relationship with God? Um, Dallas Willard in his book, Hearing God, says God means for us to walk in his presence. And so we must confront our ideas about God and the Bible. We truly do live at the mercy of our ideas. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. That's what Jesus is talking about. We can't experience the joy that Jesus, the joy of intimacy, the the happiness of relationship if we don't think about our ideas. And I think a lot of times our ideas, especially uh, in this church, our ideas about the Bible, our ideas about God, I think they severely damage our relationship with God. I don't think it's on purpose. I don't think it's on purpose. I think, I think a lot of people, myself included, mean well. But, but we're not gonna see transformed lives because we mean well. We're not gonna see uh, uh, lights in Charlottesville and Harrison. We're not gonna see a transformed community because we mean well. Uh, we're gonna have to really confront some of these ideas about God in the Bible and be willing to, to readjust, repent of those ideas in some cases. Because I do think they can destroy what God is trying to do in us. In us. You know, we talked so much in 2020 about changing societal structures. We talked so much in 2020 about changing society, changing culture. Yes, 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 all the above. But we can't be so concerned about changing society if we're not willing to change ourselves. Because ourselves are what's going to make up society, right? People make up societal structures. We can't change those structures. If we don't. We're not willing to take a look inside and change ourselves. You know, there's there's kind of three things this morning I think that get in the way of our relationship with Christ, our relationship with God. And number one, it's the passive robot, is is kind of what I call it. Um, but but. I think what this is, is I think is we, a, a lot of us, uh, we, we, we approach God and we kind of have this passive robot mentality. You know, one of the things last Wednesday when we began uh, this month's uh, Quiet Time series as a church, our, our theme for the next two months is Back to the Word Together. And we talked about Psalm 119 last Wednesday and, and we got, you know, we were all in small groups. And one of the things in my group that came up pretty commonly after reading Psalm 3 is kind of the practice way to, to read Psalms was we realized that none of us pray this way. Uh, And it was all different ways, all different reasons. None of us pray this honestly. Uh, Sometimes I think when we pray, at least for me, I can uh, almost assume like, okay, be respectful to God, right? Be grateful, be thankful to God. But I I strip myself of honesty and I kind of become a robot in my relationship with God. And the thing, about, the thing about robots is that God didn't create them to fill the earth, right? God created human beings. And in any relationship, any friendship, uh, conformity is not ideal. Best friends, right, are not best friends because they're exactly the same. Great conversations can't happen with two people who are exactly the same. Great conversations can only happen with two people who are different because they have to exchange different ideas. And in the same way with God, we're meant to have a relationship with Him. And so if we show up there just being passive, and God, uh, I'm sure all you're going to do today is great, we approach God in prayer just being a robot, uh, we actually strip ourselves of any power. Our prayers are stripped of all power when we remove initiative, when we remove honesty. God does not want robots. Imagine your kid coming up to you every day and being like, what should I do every second of today? Uh, What's what's every minute decision I should make every day? A parent might be, it's it's not encouraging to the parent, you know? The parent wants to give guidelines and parameters, but wants the kid to grow on their own. They want the kid to develop their own personality, to operate within the parameters of their confines, not just to do every single thing you want them to every day. Right? And that may, 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 be, may be easier, probably definitely easier, uh, but it's not a relationship and it's not deep and it doesn't actually provide change. And I think too often we, we, we show, up, uh, show up to God as passive robots and we don't, we don't pray with initiative. Think about the parable of the talents. Remember when God gives uh, someone five talents and someone three and someone one and he says, you know, go and invest and come back and give me, show me what you got. Right? Five talents invests all five. Uh, three talents invests all three. One talent, he's afraid. Remember what he says to God when he comes back? He says, I didn't do anything wrong. But by not doing anything wrong, he actually committed the most wrong. God's like, I wanted you to do something. I wanted you to do something. You know what's powerful about that parable is the master, when they actually, the other two uh, people do something with the talents they've been given, uh, the bags of gold they 've been given is God says, "Come and join your master 's happiness right God wants us to join his happiness, but he wants us to 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 invest in our own initiative. He wants to go out and do it and then tell me how it goes right Being guided by God experiencing the presence of God is not just making God a taskmaster. when we make God a taskmaster, we become robots, and god doesn 't want that. And we don't want that. And it doesn't actually allow us to change. Um, it doesn't actually allow us to change. And I think this is one of the reasons, too, that uh, prayer meetings, uh, you ever have a Bible discussion and you say, hey, this Friday night is going to be a prayer night. I don't know about you, but prayer nights for Bible talks or for family groups tend to be the least attended. Right? Uh, pe- people, I think, they think, well, why why go? It's just, it's just prayer night. I have thought that. Why go? It's just prayer night. When we become passive robots, prayer has no power, right? Prayer is devoid of anything that can actually move. But when we believe that power, that prayer actually has power, we're, we're able to approach it and see that prayer actually is going to uh, show us what we need to change. It's also going to be able to change God's minds. We see that in the Bible. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is a conversation. You know, and it's not just God, please tell me, show me what to do today. It's sharing with God your fears. Sharing with God your uh, what happened today, talking to God about what you, what's exciting, what interesting happened to you today. It's a conversation we bring God wherever we go. Um, are we are we passive robots when it comes to our relationship with God? You know, number two is our approach to the Bible. This is a massive one. I think this is probably the biggest one that I see. Is number two all doctrine, no illumination. You know, James 5.17 says, Elijah was a human being just like us. I think we forget this. I think too often we read the Bible like, yeah, that, that could never happen to me. Those are just people out there, Elijah and Paul and Ezra and Esther and Ruth. They're all just, that's the Bible. That's not me. That's not my life. And the result is that the Bible just becomes this antiquated book of abstract ideas that you hate reading (laughs) and you only read it if you're forced to by a campaign that the church is doing or if someone makes you choke it down like disgusting medicine. Like the Bible just becomes this irrelevant, antiquated, stale mess that you don't want to read. But we have to realize these people are just like us. That we would, in reality, experience life the same if we were there in their shoes. It's got to be real. I think it's too many times people, Christians, disciples, we read the Bible and we think, oh, that's them over there, not us. No, no, that's what we would be if we were there. If we were in our room at night and we heard God's voice like Samuel did, if we had to speak up to King Xerxes just like Esther did, if we had to stand up to Goliath just like David did, when we actually experience the Bible as real, I think this is huge for children, too. And the Bible is real to our kids. That's totally different than just, hey, this is what the Bible says. Doctrine, do it. Do it. Do it. And we we, we slowly stop reading the Bible. And what's amazing about many Bible-believing churches is that they actually don't believe the Bible very often. And church, I pray that we can get back in 2021 to really believing with all our hearts what the Scriptures have to say. You know, A.W. Tozer says, It is altogether possible to be instructed in the basics of the faith and still have no real understanding of the whole thing. And it is possible to go on and become an expert in Bible doctrine and not have spiritual illumination, with the result that a veil remains over the mind, preventing it from apprehending the truth. This one is scary. Right, this one is scary, and we see it all the time with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and people who they know the Bible's doctrine, but they, their hearts have not been illuminated by the Spirit. They actually don't have spiritual illumination, and that's 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 what moves people. Right, it's not doctrine conformity, but it's seeing people who are led by the Spirit amongst all this. The arrows, the, the bullets flying in society, in our work, in our family, in our job. Who knows how you're able to balance all the things that you balance. But when you're spirit-led, that's when, A, you're able to follow in God's guidance. But, B, people are able to see that and be inspired. Evangelism is, is so much easier when it's not just comparing doctrine, but when it's about spiritual illumination. Right, And finally, this one is humble arrogance. Right, Humble arrogance. Um, you ever find yourself saying this, you know, who am I? Drew, you're saying I should put myself in the shoes of those great ones in the Bible, but who am I to put myself in their place? Who am I that God would want to speak to me? Oh, shucks, it's just me. Guide me or be in my presence. And it can sound a lot like humility, but the problem is, is that when we say that to ourselves over and over and over again, we believe it. And then God, we begin to think that God would never waste his time God would never involve himself in our lives. You know, there's a scene in the movie Gandhi where Gandhi's walking in South Africa with a clergyman, with a priest, and something falls and it, it narrowly misses them. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the priest says, wow, we're lucky. And Gandhi says, lucky? I thought you were a Christian, a, believer, uh, you know, a religious man. And um, the priest says, yeah, but I don't believe God plans this whole day around me right and the audience chuckles and we think it's funny but the reality is that a lot of us think that we think yeah god yeah I, yeah i believe in god but i don't think he's going to you know actually plan his day around me but that is an awfully toxic way to view god and when we view god that way we begin to believe it but the reality is is it's not humility to say that god is in fact so great because he can and does plan his day around you You are worth it. You are important. God is the creator of the universe. He is omnipotent, omnipresent. He can and does plan his day around you. And when you think that and believe that and know that, you go, wow, today's important. And our kids see it and they go, wow, today's important. And our roommates see it and they go, wow, today's important. What will I do today? Who will I talk to? What will I read? What will I watch? Let me talk with God about it before I watch it, right? And I know sometimes we think about talking with God, that makes us sound crazy sometimes. I think there's a quote that's like, why is it when you know we listen to God, we're reverent, but when we talk, or no, when we talk to God, we're reverent, but when he talks to us, we're crazy, right? But the reality is, is that we got to talk to God. And he's going to talk back, right? He's going to be able to help us know what it is to live as a godly man or woman. But I pray that we don't fall into this humble arrogance, right? Of, oh, I, oh, I would never... I, And then we just, we never take initiative, we never take risks, we never live that life. You know, one of the great things about being a young man in the faith, being a teen, was taking risks for Jesus. Young men love taking risks. Young women too, I can't speak as intimately about young women, but I do know young men. And and we, my group in in Dallas, Texas, we love going to the mall and sharing our faith and getting in trouble. We love going on hikes and praying. We love doing all night uh, uh, Hikes to uh, overnight. Uh, what do you call that? Camping. We love doing camping and, and and praying and not knowing what we were doing and bringing Chef Boyardee and putting it on the fire and running around and just the initiative, the excitement, the risk, the personality. Church. I I fear that, that we've we, we can lose our personality, just become a Blue Ridge Church of robots. Let's not be that. And I'm so encouraged by so many of you who've posted on the Facebook page and on group means. Different ideas you've had this year. Different creative ideas to be able to pursue godliness this year. Come on, let's go for it. Let's initiate. Let's, who cares if it doesn't go well or not go well? The beautiful thing about this passage is Jesus is not praising God because of the results of the enterprise that just occurred. Jesus isn't praising God because of the, the production of baptisms or not. no baptisms. He's praising God because he has a relationship with him. He's thankful to God because he has a relationship with his dad. And if we're going to be grateful about anything this year, I pray that we are all immensely grateful, joyful, and happy because of our relationship with our dad. You know, Jesus closes out this section by saying, For I tell you that many prophets and kings longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What does Jesus mean by that? This isn't a a discrepancy between uh, Christians and non-Christians. What Jesus is saying is there are, you know those people in the Old Testament that are just like us? They actually would have longed to see and hear what you hear. Well, what is it that the apostles see and hear? It's Jesus, right? And it's not just the apostles, it's us too. Those people right? Elijah. Elijah, if he could read the story of our life, he would just go, oh, I could never be like them, right? They get to know Jesus, right? But, but the grass is always greener, whatever. We, we got to be- believe that our lives can be just like theirs. But we also got to believe that we are actually in a better position to know more than they ever knew because we have Jesus. And not to forget that Jesus was a human being just like us, We forget this as well. We're going to say, oh, that's just the Bible characters, or oh, that's just Jesus. Jesus underwent every temptation that a human being can go through. Jesus lived the life that we would have, could have, should have lived. Jesus is just like us. The people of the Bible are just like us, and Romans 16 says that we have their stories so that we can have hope. In church, where I pray that we can be a Bible-believing church that believes in the Bible again. But more than anything, I pray that we can get to know Jesus and we can be in a relationship with the Father because we know the Son. And we can remember, too, that just like everything, it always comes back to the cross. You know, our relationship with God is the most important thing. The presence of God is the most important thing. And to Jesus, it was also the most important thing. And just like everything that Jesus had... He lost it for you. Jesus lost the presence of God for you. Remember what Jesus says on the cross. Jesus didn't cry out when he was inflicted pain. When they drove the nails through his hands, he didn't cry out. When He, he didn't cry, my God, my God, why, are you for, why have you forsaken me? When they flogged him, he didn't cry it out when they uh, drove the nails through his feet or put the thorns in his head. He cried out when God had to remove himself away from him. Because of your sin. Jesus lost his relationship with God so that we could have a relationship. And he quotes Psalm 22, which says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I groan in prayer, but help seems far away. My strength drains away like water. All my bones are dislocated. My heart is like wax. It melts away inside me. The roof of my mouth is as dry as a piece of pottery. My tongue sticks to my gums. You set my feet. You set me in the dust of death. And Jesus, as he cries out this, this psalm, uh, why have you abandoned me? He does it so that we can have a relationship with God. And I pray that as we approach this year, that it can just be simple. Simplicity is often refreshing. Uh, when you strip away everything else, take away work, take away Uh, The stresses, the financial stresses, take away health worries, and yes, even take away family. It's just you and God in a room. Let it be that your relationship with God is the strongest relationship that you have. Let it be that your conversations with God are the best conversations that you have. Let it be that you take great initiative with God above all else. And then we can truly come and join your master's happiness. God wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be happy. And that that happens when we are able to operate in the backyard with parameters and guidelines, of course, but the freedom to make our own decisions, just like any kid with their parents. And I pray that this year is the best year that we could ever imagine in our relationship with God. Church, I pray that we can know his presence so that we can know his will so that we can change, so that we can mature. What's the point of changing society if we resist changing ourselves? What's the point of transforming social structures if we don't allow ourselves to be transformed? Let's be like children. Let's be a Bible-believing church that actually believes the Bible. Let's not succumb to humble arrogance, but know that God wants us to take initiative. He loves us enough to plan his day around us. Let's hear his words to the faithful tenants. Come and joy in your master's happiness. Amen. And to God be the glory. I'm going to go ahead and pray for our service. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge podcast. My name is Will Portillo. And if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, Visit us online at Blue Ridge.Church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.